morning, everybody. Wow. <laughs> um, thank you, everyone who shared. Uh, and Suzanne, thank you. Uh, as, su as you were singing, I was thinking, Flip, these are tough songs to sing as we're entering 2020. <laughs> but I thank you for that you were honest about that. And uh, that the one line in the last song, through it all, through it all, my eyes are on you. And all is great and fun and horrible and exciting and challenging. Uh, so it, hold that in your head because that's the book of Daniel. Through it all, through it all, my eyes are on you. Lord, help us. Uh, so today we're about to start a new series called Exiles Going Through the Book of Daniel. And, and before I even go into Daniel, this is kind of a book that's fairly familiar to us. So I just want to start, A, there's been a lot of talking, a lot of amazing talking, but a lot of talking from here. So I want to start just by getting you guys talking. So I want you to do this. Turn around to a couple people behind you, in front of you or whatever. Don't everyone turn around or the people at the back will be looking at the wall. And when I say Daniel, what pops into your head? Go, two minutes. <laughs> Ten, nine, eight. Come on, get those answers out. Seven, six, five, four, three. Ding, 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 ding. Did anyone watch Jeopardy? And stop. Okay, here's now the boldness. When I think of Daniel, you say... Hewitt. <laughs> Not in the notes. <laughs> when I think of Daniel, you say... Babylon. When I think of Daniel, you say... Visions. When I think of Daniel, you say... Leadership. Nice. Food. Yeah. When I think of Daniel, you say... Lion, f anything else? Anyone else? A word? Pray three times a day. Yes, Pen. Pardon? Will eat us. Willingness. Not will eat us. Willingness. Brilliant. So Daniel is, in some ways, like a lot of the Old Testament, in some ways, a, a familiar story to us. Fire, lions, leadership, visions, dreams. That's going to be crazy when we get to that bit. But in some ways, it's a foreign concept to us. And as I was starting to read this, I thought, whenever we go into any of the books in the Old Testament, we imagine a time, and it's, we know it's not, but we, we almost subconsciously jump to a time that's so different than ours. Stick up the next slide. We, we, we imagine a time when there's like prophets constantly walking around like parting seas and raising the dead and bringing fire down from heaven. You know, we do. We think of the, we look at the highlight reel of the Bible and we think this stuff was happening all the time. Supernatural, miracle, like the prophets just glowed so you knew their words were from God, right? Even though they stoned them and tried to kill them. So we, we, we imagine a time where everyone believed it was impossible not to believe. Or the few that didn't, like Pharaoh in the Old Testament, or like the Pharisees in the New Testament, were just such, the word imbecile popped into my head this year, were just such imbeciles or such pig heads that they just couldn't see the reality and the power of God right in front of them. And I know we sort of know that's not true. 
But do we realize that most of the Bible times, most of the era, the, two, the thousands of years in the Bible were actually nothing like that? Can we imagine that there are actually lessons that we have to learn from this time that was basically always like that? Moses were just constantly around, parting seas, doing all these amazing things. And over the last few months, as I've been thinking about Daniel for a while and reading it and looking into the background of Daniel, I've been thinking a lot about how the context and, and, and all that was happening was actually so much similar to our day today where the miraculous things, and now there were miraculous things that would come up in the book of Daniel, but in the time running up to Daniel, it was nothing like those things we've just shouted out. And what hit me was the time of Daniel in so many ways was uncannily like today. And I want to look at three things because I'm starting to become a real three-point sermon guy. Pop up the first slide. The next one's gone. The time of Daniel was a time just like today when people were losing faith. As I said, we, we think of a time when people just believed in God and when people had no, uh, no problem imagining there's a God, no problem having faith in the God. The only problem that the Jews had especially was those 400 or so rules they had to follow. But everyone believed in God. We imagine that now is a time when faith is so much tougher because of reason, because of choice. You know, we have so much going on around us. When I was in, in uh, university at York in Toronto, I had to sit, at, in my last year, I was part of Campus Crusade for Christ, and we had to sit on a spiritual council to be part of a Christian organization in the university. And so I sat around a table a couple times that year with Islam, Muslims, with Jews, with other Christians, with Buddhists, with Sikhs, with Hindus, with Satanists, with witches, with spiritualists. And, there's so, and the prevailing theme of those meetings was, it's okay to believe whatever you want to believe. Just don't hurt anyone else, and just don't try to convince anyone else to believe your thing. And that's the prevailing culture. So we, we think it's harder today. Because how do you know what to believe? Is it just where you were born? Is it just what your parents taught you? Is it just the country you live in? But we imagine that back then, they had it so much easier. Or the other side of it is we believe more and more nowadays that rationality, if you're rational, then you're not going to believe any of this stuff. If you're rational, you just believe what you can see, what you can touch, what you can taste, what you can feel. And living in Northern Ireland, that's Canada that I was born into. Living here, I've almost escaped that world, although that's, we're going to see that's massively changing right now. Three and a half years in Abu Dhabi, I remember talking to different parents and teachers and people at Cranley School, the school my kids went to. And when I told them that I worked for Youth for Christ, or I would often say a Christian youth development organization, they would look at me as if I had two heads. Like literally, do you st- Western Europeans especially, do you still believe this stuff? And you went to university. <laughs> You're an educated person. So we imagine a world that's so different, that... that, that uh, had none of the problems we have, that had none of the choice we have. But the Israelites were actually in an almost identical world as far as choice. Should we believe in the God of our forefathers, the God we've been told about for so long? 
Or what about the gods that we're surrounded by that are so much more attractive? Their temple customs are way more fun than our temple customs. We have 400 rules to follow. There's all these bales of of the Canaanites, and they have nice statues we can just look at. We can't look at our God. Or what about the God that our ancestors were surrounded by, the God of the Egyptians? We lived there for 400 years. Should we follow that God? Or what about the gods of the Assyrians who just decimated our our sister country, Israel? Or what about the gods of the Babylonians? Or I was thinking about what about 7th century BC rational thinking? You know, now it's science. What can you taste, feel, taste, feel, taste, feel, smell, touch? Let's think about 7th century rationale. Because the god you should follow would be the god that's most powerful. And the God that's most powerful would obviously have the people that were most powerful and the people that were most blessed. So if we're going to rationally think about this from a 7th century perspective, right now we're about to see we should be following the God of the Babylonians because Babylon was on the rise. So you can imagine being in tiny Israel that we're going to hear is about to be, is being decimated and is about to be even more decimated Why would I ever believe in my God when there's all this choice around me and when it seems like the real king of kings has just come in to invade me? Things had actually gotten so bad in Israel. I was was reading the context in Kings and all around to get to to Babylon and to get to uh, the book of Daniel. But things had actually been so bad in Israel that they'd actually lost the books of the law. For at least 50, possibly 80 years, several generations, they'd heard the stories, but they had actually no idea who they were following. Until about 15 years before we enter the story, this King Josiah, who was an amazing king, he ordered the cleanup of the temple, it was in rubble, and it says they found this book. And so this guy brings this book to Josiah and asks him to read it. And he opens it up, and it's probably, it doesn't say, but it's probably Deuteronomy. And King Josiah opens up this scroll and starts reading. And he's absolutely floored by how far his people are from what God had called them to. I just read through the headings of Deuteronomy as I was preparing for this. And I thought, oh my goodness, Josiah must have been like, he asked us to do this. He promised us this. We're supposed to live like this. We're supposed to be a blessing like this. To his credit, And this happened a few times in Israel's history. King Josiah repented. He got the whole nation to repent. And there was like this mini revival in Israel. But this is how long it lasted. Fifteen years later, when we enter the story with Daniel, King Josiah is dead. There's already been two more kings on the throne. And the country is drastically going in another direction. In fact, we're under one of the most evil kings now. So we enter the story of Daniel at a time just like ours when the whole world is losing faith. We had that little revival, but we're losing faith. But we go on. We live in a story, or we live in a days when our world is losing hope. And I suppose I'm thinking about this in a specific way. We're losing hope. We've lost faith. We're losing hope that there's possibly a God that can do something today, that can act today, as Caroline said, that can actually save today. And Malcolm started this out, and for good reason. 
entering 2020, it's not a good picture. The news in the last couple days is crazy. We've been warned of economic downfall for ages. Right now, they just killed whoever it was, the senior general in, of Iran in the Middle East. And the Middle East is literally, don't talk to Mike, Mike Bourne about politics right now. He's, I don't even know if they're here this morning, but he's an international politics and terrorism lecturer at Queen's University. Sorry, I've put Mike on your radar now. Don't talk to him about the world right now. We're on the brink of disaster in the Middle East. We're on the brink. We've, Greta Thornburg's told us all year with everyone else that we're on the, the brink of, we're on the tipping point of ecological disaster in the world. And then let's get a, whole bunch, a lot closer to home. Talk to any police or any security. What happens with Brexit? What happens with border polls? What happens, which side of sectarian violence or both is going to creep up again? Sickness. Depression, loneliness have long replaced hope as the overriding mood of our day. So in times like this, how do we have hope in a God that says he's good when all of this is happening? And I'm conscious as I'm saying this that we we kind of live in this bubble still in the West that we can ignore the rest of it, and even the people that are around us, because it's all right for us, we almost can't imagine it. But for 90% of our world, how do we, but including many people here in Northern Ireland, how do we believe in a God that's good when all of this is happening? The million-pound question of our day. But Daniel's day <laughs> trumps ours. If we're at this tipping ecological point, this tipping economic point, this tipping war point, well, Daniel's world had totally tipped over. Their sister nation, Israel, had fallen. Judah now had been conquered by the Babylonians, and Daniel and many of his friends, and we, Daniel writes it, we're just going to read a tiny bit of it today. Daniel writes it with so little emotion and so little like, background, that it's just like, and we were taken away to the Babylonians, and we were... But his country, his city had been under siege. His country had been conquered. And Daniel and some of his friends, the lucky ones, the living ones, were taken away to Babylonia, to, to Babylon as slaves. So this, these are the people of God. Who The thing they hold on to is that they are God's chosen people. They are the people of God's promise. And that promise is land, that promise is numbers, and that promise is blessing to the whole world. The people of Israel hadn't been a blessing to each other in about a thousand years. And that's the situation we're entering. Psalm 74 was written just, it's not going to go up there, but it was written just around, probably after we enter the story, but during the time of Daniel. And it starts like this. Oh God, why have you rejected us forever? That's the hope that the people of Israel are living with. But as we imagine the Bible... As we imagine that fantasy world that, that they, they lived in, they could still look to the prophets, right? Back to that, we're not going back to that picture, but you know, Moses was still hanging around, Elijah was still bringing fire from heaven. They could still look to those things, right, to believe. 
And I know we don't believe that, but that's the subconscious we go to when we think of the Bible. The reality is that no miracles were happening in the time of Daniel. Nothing good, nothing fantastic, nothing that would point you to the reality of a living, acting God was happening. As I went back through a Bible timeline and back through the Bible times around this, the best thing that they would have to look to is Jonah, 150 years before this. And I was thinking, that would be like us pointing back to a story in the 1870s. Imagine us like, all that's happening in the world today. Well, do you remember back in 1870, there was that guy that went to Balamina, but on the way there, he was eaten by the whale. <laughs> Can, it's like us. Can you imagine telling that story as you're being conquered and taken into a foreign land? But, but what about the next story? What about that other one? Elisha or Elijah, remember? Remember that he showed all these other gods who was what? Remember he laughed at them, he poured water on them, and the fire came down from heaven? That was 250 years before Daniel. 1770s, 1760s, 70s. We hear about, the, you know, remember those missionaries in Africa? Remember what happened in India? And Whatever. There was nothing happening in Daniel's time that would convince them that there was a God who was alive 400 years since David, 800 years since they'd crossed the Jordan. Did they really cross it on dry land? Was that something they just told us to make us excited about our God? We live in a world where depression and anxiety and loneliness and fear and um, the unknown are what rule our thinking. And that was exactly the world that Daniel lived in. But the thing that struck me most, actually, in some ways, as I thought about it as it went on, it doesn't seem as, as, as um, scary in the world, but the thing that struck me most, actually, was that Daniel and his friends were living in a crazy, brave new world. And we are living in a crazy, brave new world. This is a funny aside, but well, no, it's actually not that fun. Fiona and I were watching the movie Sully a couple days ago. Anyone seen the movie Sully? The guy that crashed the plane on the, on the Hudson. In the movie, that's not that long ago, right? In the movie, he's constantly talking on a flip phone. And he's, do, 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 you know, pressing the little buttons on his flip phone. I said, Fiona, that's not that long ago. What's he talking? That must be an error in the producers. He's, What's he talking on a flip phone for? That movie was 2009, 10 years ago. And just then, he's using this tiny little flip phone. You know, We can't imagine how much our world has changed, how much our technology has changed. The technology we have on our pockets nowadays makes that look like an absolute joke. But that's the least of it. Especially in Northern Ireland. I, I was born into a land where faith in Canada, where faith had long since left the building, long since left schools, long since left politics. But we live in a world now, especially in Northern Ireland, in the last five or ten years, when every hot topic, and it's worldwide, every moral, every social, every ethical hot topic is completely flipped on, your, on its head. And if you have any sort of a conservative stance on any of it, and we've been right and wrong... <laughs> in a lot of ways. But you're a Stone Age man if you're not thinking in the times of the day. 
our young people. And this is not just, you know, this is not just... Back when I was a kid, I used to walk up uphill both ways to school in the snow and we lived in a shoebox and kids have it so well these days. That's what my dad said. Our young people are having all their moral, their ethical foundations completely torn up in front of them. What do I think about this topic? I don't know. And the church isn't telling me anything. What do I think about this topic? I don't know. This is what they're saying. In Daniel's day, from his birth to his teens, he'd seen his world completely flipped upside down. He was born into one of the greatest revivals in the history of Israel, but it lasted 15 years. We look back to the revivals, and they weren't even 15 years ago. We look back to Wales, and we look back to the Hebrides, and we look back to California, and all these things. But where are they today? Daniel was born in one of the greatest revivals in history, in their history. And 15 years later, it's gone. 15 years later, they're destroyed. 15 years later, they're back to being one of the corrupt nations now in the history of the Israelis. So as I thought about all this, a world that's losing faith, what is faith in God? Or if it's God, it's my God, right? It's my version of it. As we live in a world that's losing hope, when we think about the challenges of our friends, when we think about, Liz was praying earlier, about chronic realities in people's lives, when we think about economics, when we think about war, when we think about our ecosystem, when we live in a new world where everything is changing and everything is changed, How do we respond in a world like that? And I want to read just eight chapters to you. Or sorry. (laughs) I've done that before. (laughs) You'll be pleased to know I'm going to read eight verses to you. And I actually just want to look at three words. So if you turn to Daniel Chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. How do you respond? Like Caroline said, I can't do this. How do you respond in a world that's long lost faith? How do you respond in a world that's long lost hope? And how do you respond in a world that's completely changed in a new world? In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. There's no emotion written today. He just besieged the city. That was horrific. And the Lord, we're going to get into this next week, but the Lord delivered Jehoiakim into the into sorry, and the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia, and put in the treasure of his God, in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature, 
of the Babylonians. The king assigned to them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. These are by far the lucky ones. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, he gave the name Belteshazzar. We're going to hear about this next week. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. Verse 8. But Daniel resolved. How do you respond in a world that's totally changed? I just want to finish by looking at those three words. But Daniel resolved. And there's amazing principles and, and, and implications that we're going to work out in the coming weeks. As you do, I googled resolved. What does it actually mean to resolve? And it says this. Is it an adjective or is it a verb? I don't know. Anyway, Google says this. Resolved is firmly decided to do something. Daniel firmly, he didn't just wish, he didn't just hope, he didn't give up, he didn't succumb, he did, as we just saw, he's been offered all this food and all this wine and he's the, he's the elite of the day, he didn't just grab on to all this world would offer him. Daniel resolved. And I'm sure there's more to the story than this that he doesn't include. But Daniel, as far as we can see, accepts the reality of the world he's entered. We don't hear him begging. We don't hear him praying, God, please send me back to Jerusalem. Come and smite these Babylonians and conquer them and send us back to our amazing land. Daniel resolved and he firmly decided to do something. And there's two sides to this. Daniel resolved to have faith in the God of Israel. Even though I'm sure what was going on in his head was, God, I don't see you right now. I don't hear you right now. I'm maybe angry with you right now. I don't understand what you're doing. I don't know what you're doing. But I am going to honor you and I'm going to follow you through it all, through it all, no matter the circumstances and no matter the cost. And that sounds incredible and faith-filled, and that's just, yeah, it only happens in the Bible, right? No one has that type of faith now. But as I thought about it, and we're going to work it all out, it's actually more complicated than just that. Because I think Daniel also resolved to walk a tightrope in a new land. I think he resolved and knew that in the coming days he would have to live in a world of gray. He would have to make some crazy decisions. He would need wisdom that was way beyond him. He would need intuition that was way beyond him. And he resolved to do this in a world that had conquered his people, in a kingdom that was idol-worshipping, 
that were pagans, that stood for everything that his God didn't stand for, and that had just, as I said, conquered and humiliated his people. And Daniel resolved to honor God and to be a blessing in this land. And as Malcolm pointed out reading this, and he wasn't a priest. He wasn't like a missionary. Daniel resolved first to be the best student he could be, and we're going to hear all about this next week. Then, even harder, he he resolved to be the best civil servant he could be amongst a world of civil servants who were taking sick leave. And No, I'm not sorry, I shouldn't say anything like that. (laughs) Is that that on the record? (laughs) And he resolved to be a challenge and to be a blessing in a kingdom that had conquered his and it was exactly opposite to his. He resolved to honor and to follow God through it all, through it all. My eyes are on you. I can't see you. I don't understand you. I maybe don't even want to talk to you right now. I don't know what's going on. I had this and now I don't have this. But Daniel resolved. And what we're going to see is that because of this resolve, God was gonna, going to gift Daniel and his four friends. And he was going to use them in ways that they could never ask for or imagine. To influence, to shape, to challenge and to bless this kingdom of Babylon. So here's the situation for us. And when, again, when we're singing these songs at the start, it's impossible to fathom how we can impact the issues that are coming into our heads. But as we enter 2020, doesn't that sound space age? As we enter a new year, and a new decade in a world that's losing faith, maybe amongst a family and friends that have lost faith, in a world that's losing hope and doesn't want to turn on the news because the, the hope that's there disappears even quicker, in a world that's totally changed, not in Michael Sims' generation, but in their generation, how do we resolve to honor and obey God, and to be a blessing. Do we believe that God still is who he says he is? That's a big question. Even when we can't see, can't understand, why, how? Do we believe that God is still in control of governments and powers and your boss at work and the colleague that drives you crazy, that he's still king? Do we believe that God still, this is information Daniel didn't have, that God still loves them so much? Yes, that guy, yes, that girl, yes, that boss, yes, that neighbor, that he came to serve, to live, and to die to save them. Do we still believe that? And what could happen if we enter 2020 
with the resolve of Daniel. As soon as I say it, if I'm honest, defeat, (laughs) the lie of defeat comes into my head. But what if we entered 2020 with the resolve of Daniel to honor and obey God no matter what? Not the wish, not the hope, but the resolve. With the resolve of Daniel to walk that balancing act between um, challenge and obedience and integrity and blessing. What if we entered 2020 with the resolve of Daniel to live as light and hope and trust in God to do way more than we could ask or imagine in our world that has lost faith, in our world that has lost hope, and in our world that's completely changed under our feet. And I pray as we go through this book over the next eight to ten weeks, and there'll be a few of us talking about it. And I'm even re-inspired this morning already hearing what's been said. But that our eyes will be open, our hearts will be open, our spirits will be open that God can do now in this desperate time like he did it in Daniel's disastrous time more than we could ask or imagine. I want to read this few verses to you as we finish because we need to hear the truth and the reality of God and I pray it sinks in our hearts. Ephesians 3, 18 to 21 says this, And may you have the power to understand as all God's people should how wide How long, how high, and how deep is his love. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now, all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us, through his mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Infinitely more than Paul's mind can ask or think, than Caroline's mind could ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. We're out of time, but I just want you to sit with that for a second. And sit with all the profound lyrics we've sang. With all the powerful words you've heard. With that 20-year story of of, um, resurrection power in our heads. God, we live in a power in a world that has lost faith, that has lost hope, and that is different than anything we're used to.
but we pray for your faith embedded in our lives that's eternal and it's unstoppable. We pray for your hope that is alive even though we can't see and we can't understand. And we pray for your Holy Spirit not just to fill us, but to overflow that your kingdom may bust through and may come in Balnehinch, in County Down, in Northern Ireland, in our workplaces, in my home, amongst my family and friends as it is in heaven. pray this in Jesus' holy and awesome name. Amen.